happened a few years ago. I had just landed in Chicago O'Hare Airport. After collecting my bags, I went upstairs to the shuttle area and attempted to book an Uber. I love using Uber. I know exactly what I'm going to pay for before I step in the cars, which for the most part are late model sedans. So you can imagine how devastated I was when I reached for my phone and discovered that it was dead. No cell phone equals no Uber. No cell phone equals no Uber equals the dreaded yellow cab. Out of the corner of my eye, I could see them all lining up for takeoff over there, all of them anxious to taxi me for a sky-high price. Maybe you know what it's like. Taxis do not provide estimates like every other fee-for-service in the world. Rather, we sit back in the back seat, and then with a flick of a wrist, the numbers and the meters spin around like a slot machine, and the base toll appears. $6.50 before we move one inch. And then regardless if we are moving forward or stuck at a horrific traffic jam, the meter keeps right on clicking, keeps right on clicking, and we take a licking. My taxi that day was the typical 1998 Ford Crown Victoria. Both the suspension and the back seat had that bouncy, lived-in feel. The interior aroma was vintage as well. The little pine tree deodorizer hanging from the rearview mirror was no match for two decades of baked-in cigarette smoke. My driver was a very kind Middle Eastern man in his early 30s, who I think looked way more like Jesus than the figure in most of those Renaissance paintings. So yes, the car was nothing to write home about. However, I did have the pleasure of having him shepherd me down the Dan Ryan Expressway. And then it happened. About 10 minutes into our drive, the dispatcher's voice came on the radio and said, has anyone seen Joe? My driver immediately copied back and said, not today. And then one by one, dozens of other drivers in the chain responded as well, saying, nope, negative, haven't seen him. At which point I had this unkind thought, which I expressed out loud to my driver. Let me guess, some slacker named Joe didn't show up for work today. To which my shepherd replied, oh no, Joe isn't a driver. He's a regular customer, an older man in his mid-90s. We take turns picking him up every morning. We bring him to his favorite diner for coffee. It's less than a block from his little apartment. Two hours later, one of us picks him up again and delivers him back home. We don't bother to turn on the meter. He gives us a buck each way. We've been doing it for a few years now. The power and parable of story. I was humbled and I was deeply ashamed. Humbled, ashamed, but also redeemed. Because suddenly I too cared about Joe. Do you think Joe's okay, I said to him? Hopefully, he replied. But if we don't hear from him soon, one of us will go to his place and check on him. Now that's what makes America great. The dispatcher and all those yellow cab drivers had created a community of caring. And the result was kindness, loving kindness. 
Well, the whole experience was a subtle reminder that we live in a cynical, angry world where kindness is becoming a kind of lost virtue. And it is dividing us. It is tearing us apart. In our first reading, the prophet Micah commands it. O mortal, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you that you love kindness? The apostle Paul commanded it too. Let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful in building up, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Be kind to one another. Now, Paul had, I think, the root word for kindness in his mind when he wrote that, which means kin. Try to be kin to one another. That is, treat even a stranger like kin. Because God knows We're all connected to each other. Think about it like this. Think about it like a circulatory system. The big arteries, the big veins, faith, hope, and love get all the attention. However, it is the capillaries, all those little acts of kindness that connect the larger veins. And without the capillaries, without the kindness, the body, the community will die. I am reminded of a graduation speech delivered at Syracuse University by American writer George Saunders. He titled it, Failures in Kindness. And he began with these words, kind of tongue-in-cheek. Down through the ages, a traditional form has evolved for this type of graduation speech, which is, some old fart, his best years behind him, had made a series of dreadful mistakes that would be me, gives heartfelt advice to a group of shining, energetic young people with all their best years ahead of them, that would be you. He goes on, so what do I regret? What do I regret? Being poor from time to time? Not really. Working terrible jobs like a knuckle puller in a slaughterhouse? No, I don't regret that. Do I regret the occasional humiliation? Like once playing hockey in front of a big crowd, including this girl that I really had a crush on, how I fell and somehow managed to score my own goalie? No, I don't even regret that. But here's something I do regret, and I can relate to this, and maybe some of you can too. In the seventh grade, this new kid joined our class. She wore these blue cat-eye glasses that, at that time, only old ladies wore. When she was nervous, which was pretty much always, she had a habit of taking a strand of hair into her mouth and chewing on it. So she came to our school and was mostly ignored and occasionally teased. Does your hair taste good? That sort of thing. I could see this hurt her. I still remember the way she looked after such an insult, eyes cast down, a little gut kicked, having just been reminded of her place in the world, how separate she was from us, trying as much as possible to shrink and to disappear. And then she moved away. That was it, no tragedy, no big final hazing. One day she was there, and the next day she wasn't. End of story. Now, why do I regret that? Why, 42 years later, am I still thinking about that? 
relative to most of the other kids, I was actually pretty nice to her. I never said an unkind word to her. In fact, I sometimes even mildly defended her. But it still bothers me to this day. So here's something I know to be true, although you might think it's a little corny, and I don't quite know what to do with it. What I regret the most about my life are failures in kindness. Those moments when another human being was there in front of me suffering, and I responded sensibly, reservedly, and mildly. And then he asked his graduating class what he calls the million-dollar question. What causes us to be unkind? It is the belief that we are separate from others. That is, that we are not kin, and therefore we are not kind at a local and a global level. And then he goes on to tell the class he believes that people tend to get kinder as they get older, which I thought was interesting. Here's why. Because over the years, we get our butts kicked by real life, and people come to our defense and help us, and we learn that we are not separate, nor do we want to be. And finally, this his parting advice to his class and to all of us, Since according to me, your life is going to be a gradual process of becoming kinder and more loving, hurry up, speed it along, start right now. And then he finally said this, which I love, tap into that luminous part of your soul, which makes yourself and your world a better place, one little act of kindness at a time. Now, as simple as that may sound, I think he is definitely on to something. Our world is a mess. The war in Gaza and Ukraine, the unraveling of the Republican Party by a handful of nutty, unkind people, mass shootings all over the place, a worldwide internet that is full of people hurling millions of unkind words into cyberspace every single day. And that news is so overwhelming that we feel hopeless and helpless that there's little or nothing that we can do. That there's little we can do about it directly, right? You look at the news and you go, God, I can't do anything. But we can do something indirectly. Something at a personal level that has the power and the potential to actually trickle up to the bigger issues. And that is to hurry up and be kind in our everyday lives. Last week, David Brooks wrote an article in the New York Times titled, How to Stay Sane in Brutalizing Times. And he concluded with these words. The core counterattack against this kind of dehumanization is to offer others the gift of being seen. We fight back by opening our hearts and casting a just, loving, and kind attention to others by being curious about strangers, by being a little vulnerable with them in the hopes that they may be vulnerable too. Hurry up and be kind because time, I submit to you this morning, is running out. And this kind of kindness begins in small ways with daily encounters. That's how we show up for others.
Now, if you need some motivation to do this, I recommend reading the New York Times Metropolitan Diary. Since 1976, it's been a place for people to share unique moments, many of which are subtle, random acts of kindness. It is inspirational, and it is simple, and I love reading it. So the following are three of my favorite ones. Dear Diary, I recently threw out a lamp that was in need of repair. I felt a little guilty since it was a nice lamp that served me well. I thought somehow someone would be able to fix it and put it to good use. So I put it in front of my apartment building alongside the outgoing garbage. Three days went by. Even after the garbage was picked up, the lamp stayed right there where I'd left it. On the fourth day, it was still there, but there was something different about it. So I went outside and took a look. Lo and behold, someone had fixed the part that was broken. So I grabbed it, brought it back into my apartment. A broken chair goes out next. This one is titled, I love this one. This one's titled, The Stranger in the Middle Seat. Dear Diary, it happened on a red-eye flight. The plane was jam-packed, San Francisco to JFK. He was six foot with four with broad shoulders, wedged between me and a large woman over at the window. Now, I am six feet and overweight. He was already nodding off. I guessed it was Ambien. You going to sleep, he mumbled. I answered, you betcha. This'll work, he said, and he raised up the armrest. I'll be the big spoon. We passed out like two big pups. And finally this, another cabbie story, which I love. Dear Diary, I just looped my dog's leash over a hydrant and was about to go into the Mazzola Bakery in Union Street in Brooklyn. A cabbie who had just double parked met me at the door, and I paused, indicating that he should go ahead of me. When he politely declined, I insisted that he go ahead of me. After we joined the line at the counter, he turned to me and told me how much he loved the bakery's fresh, warm bread and how he would drive all this way to get it, often finishing a whole loaf before his shift had ended. He bought four loaves. I bought a croissant, and we both left the shop, and I returned to walking my dog. I was halfway down the block when he pulled up, rolled down the window, and offered me a ride. On his deathbed, American-British author Henry James looked up at his young nieces and nephews and offered this parting advice. There are only three things that are important in human life. Be kind, be kind, be kind. Be kind.